All scars tell a story. My name is Kristen Dodge. This is the story of my scar. I have a loving family, and growing up, my mom was a single mom, and I never thought I would be the same. Being a single parent is more difficult than anything I could have imagined. It's worth it, but it's extremely hard. And raising a child on my own isn't the hardest part, though. It's raising a teenager on my own that really is the greatest challenge. She actually has a wonderful heart. I just realized that the older she gets, the more I repeat what my mother said to me when I was her age. It's daunting. And before I got pregnant, I was partying and having fun, and I took off a semester in college after I got my AA degree. And during that brief time off session, I got pregnant. I immediately stopped partying, which is probably the reason I'm here today. It made me slow down, wake up, and realize that my life isn't just about me. And now that I look back those 15 years ago, it seems like another person was living in my body. For instance, I was not involved in church at all, like I had been my entire life. In fact, for a brief time, I would tell people there wasn't a God, that we were actually reincarnated. It makes me think how far away I got. And as I look back, I do realize that Jesus was there along the way. And I wanted to go back to school and finish my bachelor's degree. And my mom said she'd move in with me and my daughter and help me under two conditions. One, I promised to keep the house clean. And two, I would go to church with her two times a month. So I promised church one time a month, and we made a deal. I started going to church with her, but of course my heart wasn't in it. I was there because I'd promised. And then a few months later, God actually spoke to me. I felt this overwhelming desire to get on my knees and pray to him, which I haven't done in so long. I went to the altar, went to the altar and prayed. A feeling came over me that what I had done in the past was actually forgiven and that I have to move on from it. And I decided to come back to the Lord. I'm really just here by the grace of God. He loves me, and I know it. Life is still hard. I still struggle, and sometimes I don't even know how I get by. But with prayer and my mom's shoulder to cry on, I am continuing on with the journey with hope. All scars tell a story. My name is Nate Garcia, and this is the story of my scar. I served in the Army from 2000 to 2004. After joining the Army, I rushed into a marriage for all the wrong reasons, as many soldiers do. To add to the whirlwind experience, the 9-11 terrorist attacks would catapult me to Afghanistan for a 12-month combat tour. Nothing could fully prepare me for what I would experience in combat or the sacrifice of everything I left behind. What kept me alive and vigilant was my faith in God, my faith in my buddies who were watching my back, and the hope of making it back alive to see my wife, family, and friends. I made it back, physically, but I was broken. I left part of myself in Afghanistan, and so did my buddies. Some were inflicted with life-changing injuries, some paid the ultimate sacrifice. These scars have forever changed our lives. My welcome home was a cold one. My wife wasn't there. After a year of fighting for my life, the lives of my brothers, and for my country, what kept me going was the dream of running into her arms. The dream never came true. 
Two weeks after returning to the States, she came and visited. But like so many other military marriages after deployment, there was nothing there. I was honorably discharged from the Army shortly after coming back from Afghanistan and moved back to Florida with my wife. Instead of working through my combat trauma, I had to push those feelings down deep and decided to fight for my marriage. I tried prayer. I tried to convince her to go to counseling. I wept at her feet. But it didn't change the fact that I had been abandoned long before I ever made it home from war. I didn't believe in divorce, and I never thought it would happen to me, but it did. Like combat, I made it out of my divorce alive, but I left a piece of me there. This scar would also forever impact my life. It was one of the lowest points in my life. It was compounded with combat trauma. But I had something that many soldiers didn't have. I had hope in Jesus. He met me at my lowest point. He started rebuilding my life based on what God says about me. I stopped searching for comfort in the world or relying on my own strength and started putting my full trust in the Lord. One scripture that the Lord used to guide me was Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. As I trusted the Lord, he gave me another shot at marriage. I met my beautiful bride, Jenny, and we've been happily married for over five years. We've also been blessed with our amazing two-year-old daughter, Zoe. And because of the scars caused in my journey, God has called us to become missionaries with Military Ministry, a division of Campus Crusade for Christ. We have a chance to use our experiences to minister to other military members, veterans, and their families that have similar scars. All scars tell a story. My name is Odanis Garcia. This is the story of my scar. I grew up in Puerto Rico. I married my wife, Brenda, in 94. We were both 23 years old. When Leandro, our first child, was born, he was born with severe medical issues. We began to process the moving, of moving to the United States and getting medical care that he needed. In 2000, I moved first to find a job while Brenda, now pregnant again, prepared for family to move. I moved here with no money, no car, no job. That seven-month period alone was one of the lowest points in my life. I was depressed. I started thinking that maybe my family didn't really need me. Even when I finally found a job, I continue along a destructive path. He began partying and doing drugs. When Brenda finally came to the U.S., she immediately noticed something was wrong. I was cold and distant and selfish. I was a different man than the one she once knew. I continued my selfish lifestyle and found myself in several extramarital affairs. I knew then that I had crossed the line, and we soon separated. With a year, I began living with one of the ladies I cheated with. I lived with her for over three years, but I had never officially divorced Brenda. I eventually broke up with the girl and soon met another, 
And that I saw it was the one. One day, I was playing with her kids in the park when I accidentally fell. That accident caused me a shattered knee and ankle. That's when my life began to change. After being in the hospital for a week or two, I saw the door, of, the door open and my son Leandro pick in, followed by my son Sergio and then Brenda. I just couldn't believe it. We had so little contact the past five years. Brenda had even been trying to file for divorce so she could get remarried. And here she was coming to visit me. We began talking and we talked. And as we did, I began to feel the need to ask her for forgiveness for what I had done to her. She accepted and also apologized. Over the next couple of days, I found myself beginning to pray. If this could ever work out between us, I would like that to happen. Then a few weeks later, Brenda called and told me that she was getting evicted. At the same time, her fiancé was nowhere to be found. He had left her. I told her to pack her stuff. We will work it out somehow. The next day, she moved in with my roommate and me into our two-bedroom apartment, me, my roommate, my wife, and my two boys. My roommate was furious and asked he had no officially broken up with my girlfriend, but I still think that she got the hint. Brenda started helping taking care of me and my leg healed. Despite how clean the department was now being kept, I didn't take long to, for my roommate to move out. He was mad we couldn't party anymore. And Brenda and I started leaving the family who was trying to put their lives back together. Since Brenda had kept her relationship with God strong, her faith slowly began to become my faith. I could see how God had been working in her life. Suddenly, the places I stashed my drug were being filled with books and Bibles. I was really angry at first, but when I realized I was given the second chance, it just changed my life. And when I realized that, everything changed. I began to church, uh, going to church with Brenda, and I began to long for the joy she had. I wanted to know God the way she knew Him. And that was two and a half years ago, and that's why I'm here today. My name is Lori Cooley, and this is my scar. I was born into a dysfunctional family, to say the least. I was told that my real dad didn't want my siblings or me. My mom married my stepdad when I was about three years old. He's the only dad I remember, and I lived with him until I was nine years old. Every day was filled with turmoil, seeing my stepdad beat and drug my mom. When we went to bed at night, we would hear screaming and hear my mom being beaten. 
My stepdad was a police officer, and we knew if he ever killed our mom, he would probably get away with it. On October the 4th, 1967, he did just that. My mom was shot and killed. Her murder was ruled a suicide and a thorough investigation never done. After custody hearings, the courts finally decided to let my sister, two brothers, and myself live with my grandparents. We were four lost children in a big world left without a mom and a dad. Our grandparents were amazing Christians and began to teach us about the love of Jesus, a love we had never known. Of course, we were not only sad about the death of our mom, but confused and very angry. I used to dream about the day when I would turn 18 so I could go hurt my stepdad or even hire someone to hurt him. I did that. I wanted to destroy the one that had destroyed my life. But guess what happened? After spending nine years with my grandparents and being taught about a Savior that loves me beyond measure and forgives all sinners, my heart began to soften. By the time I turned 18, I was ready to make a visit to my stepdad. I went to Alabama on a cold November night and found him working at the police department. I approached the front desk and asked to see Bobby, my stepdad, and I saw him glance around the corner and it looked as if he had seen a ghost. That's because I looked just like my mom and he hadn't seen me since I was nine. He sent another officer to ask, why is she here? And I answered, I just need to talk. He agreed to see me, but only with the door open and an officer outside the door. We went into a conference room, and he just stared out the window, keeping his back to me, making sure we didn't make eye contact. He asked why had I come to see him, and I said, I've come to tell you that I remember every time you hit my mom and drugged her and abused her and my brothers and my sister and me, and I wanted to hate you. I did hate you for a long time. I also believe you killed my mom. And I want you to know that life has been hard and sad without her. But no matter how much I have planned to hate you, I can't. I went to tell him about a man named Jesus who offers forgiveness to everyone. Then, he, then I walked over to him and said, I've come to offer you forgiveness for all the hurt you've caused in my life and many others. He turned with tears streaming down his face in disbelief. And we talked for over an hour, and I left that place knowing that we serve a big God that has the power to help us forgive everyone for anything, even when they don't ask or deserve forgiveness. Because I offer forgiveness to the man that could have destroyed my life, I am free to share the love of God and to share the power of forgiveness. We are set free because of God's love for us. I am set free because God's love changed my life many years ago. Today I share my story so that others may find hope and freedom through Jesus Christ. All scars tell a story. This is the story of Jesus' scar. Three o'clock, Friday afternoon. Merchants hawk their wares. Children play in dirty streets. Neighbors gossip over stone walls. At three o'clock on a Friday afternoon, 
while the world was doing something else, the Son felt so far away from the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at three o'clock on this Friday afternoon, the ones who noticed and the ones who cared were there, watching it all unfold. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, his last. And the ones who noticed stood at a distance, and they clucked their tongues. He saved others, but he can't even save himself. And the ones who cared stood near, inconsolable. We had hoped, but they could not even finish the sentence. So they set their faces and planned a funeral before the sun went down. Gray, after the funeral and before our lives go on, before the awful realization settles like dust on our shoulders, that we will forget his face, his smile, the way he made us laugh, his puzzling words, this king disguised gray, all cried out, no energy left, even to mourn, but none either for moving on with life, now however small. So the woman decided to do something, anything, to keep from sitting in that dark house. Early, in the space between darkness and day, they bring spices, the women, to the graveyard, Spices, tokens of devotion, some small gauntlet thrown down toward the stench of death. But there by the grave, lit by morning's first rays, or by what? Some great thought of God? There, either lit or themselves in light, stand two messengers. Out of the gray, their message. Graveyards are for dead men. And he is not dead. You will find him elsewhere, very much alive. And all return to them then. His face, his laugh, his voice. He himself, alive. This king, disguised no more. Jesus. Lord Jesus, we have not, like the women in the graveyard, seen you with our own eyes. But with eyes of faith, we believe that you have risen from the dead. And Lord Jesus, a heart that has truly seen you cannot refrain from praise. Receive now the words of our confidence in you, our words of praise. We believe that you are the Son of the living God. We believe that you are the Lamb who was slain for our sin. We believe that all blessing and glory and honor and power belong to you. We believe, Lord Jesus, that you have overcome death itself and that you reign in glory at the right hand of the Father. Your kingdom is within us and among us, and it will have no end. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen. Christ is risen indeed. All scars tell a story. 
story of wounds that we have suffered, pain that we've endured, and we all have them. I mean, nobody goes through life without scarring. No one. We're all scarred. And some of the scars that we have are visible on the outside, and some of the scars that we have, which are often the more painful ones, are invisible on the inside. Some scars are old from a long time ago, but some scars are new and fresh and maybe even still healing. And you can be sure that there will be more scars to come in your life. See, in our individual scars, the visible ones, the invisible ones, the old ones, the new ones, they tell the story of our lives. They often shape us. Sometimes they even define us. And a lot of times they can shackle us and burden us keep us down and hold us prisoner. They can keep us, trusting other, keep us from trusting others and many times they even keep us from trusting God. Some scars are so deep that even though they look old and healed, they're still tender to the touch and they keep us from experiencing true healing. Some scars in our life have left such bitter memories that oftentimes they keep us from understanding true forgiveness. See, we look at scars and we say that they're ugly because they remind us of the pain that we've endured. They're a sign of imperfection, a picture of suffering, brokenness, and life without hope. But there are scars that tell, that tell a very different story, a story that begins and ends with love. See, for the past few months, we've been talking about all these different characteristics of God, how God is the God of second chances, how God is a God who pursues us our whole life, how God is generous. And all of these characteristics of God that we've been looking at, one thing remains consistent throughout all of them, and that's that God is a God of love. See, God created humanity to live in a loving relationship with, it, with its creator. See, he didn't need to create us. God didn't need anything from us. He didn't need companionship or worship. He didn't need us for anything. He created us out of an overflowing abundance of love. But love is a choice. You see, without choice, there is no love. God loves us, and He desires so much for us to love Him back. But in order for that to be true love, love has to be a choice. And we choose to leave that loving relationship with God, wounding ourselves with sin, death, and separation from God. And it was a wound that would never heal, except by an unimaginable act of love. About 700 years ago, even before Jesus was born, a prophet named Isaiah told about how that act of love would be displayed. And contrary to what most people thought the coming Messiah would look like, it was different than what everybody thought it would be. See, God's act of love wasn't displayed with trumpets blowing and, and crowds cheering and all the fanfare that you would expect with the coming of the Son of God to this earth. In fact, it was exactly the opposite. Look at what it says in Isaiah, starting in chapter 52, verse 14. It says, Many people were shocked when they saw him. He was so scarred that he did not look like a man at all. His body was so twisted that he didn't look like a human being anymore. But many nations will be surprised when they see what he has done. Kings will be so amazed that they will not be able to say anything. 
They will understand things they were never told about. They will know the meaning of things they never heard about. Who has believed what we've been saying? Who has seen the Lord's saving power? His servant grew up like a tender young plant. He grew like a root coming up out of dry ground. He didn't have any beauty or majesty that made us notice him. There wasn't anything special about him, the way he looked that drew us to him. Men looked down on him. They didn't accept him. He knew all about sorrow and suffering. He was like someone people turned their faces away from. We looked down on him. We didn't have any respect for him. He suffered the things that we should have suffered. He took on himself the pain that should have been ours. But we thought God was punishing him. We thought God was wounding him and making him suffer. But the servant was pierced because we had sinned. He was crushed because we had done what was evil. And he was punished to make us whole again. His wounds have healed us. God's only son placed humanity's sin upon himself and suffered its consequences, death and separation from God. And God made the ultimate sacrifice, sending his precious son to die in our place to forgive us of our sins and to heal us of our wounds. And then three days later, Jesus takes up his life in a magnificent resurrected body, perfect in every way except one. His scars remained. The marks of the sacrifice endured and would never fade. I mean, isn't it strange that the resurrection that brought Christ back to life left him scarred? I mean, whatever occurred at the time of resurrection, his scars weren't removed. They're still there. And they remain there today. I mean, we have a permanently scarred God. And I believe that's on purpose. Because I believe that Jesus' scars reminds us that he was human, yet divine. His scars remind us that Jesus felt pain just as we feel pain. His scars remind us that we suffer just as Jesus suffered. And he comes to us, scarred, to be with us with whatever scars that we bear, and with whatever wounds we carry. Isn't that incredible? I mean, what an amazing demonstration of God's love for us that he would continue to carry the scars, the reminders of the pain and humiliation that he went through. I mean, think about what that means for Christ. See, our hands, our hands are the one part of our body that we see all the time. You can't see your ears unless you look in the mirror. And you really can't see your feet unless you intentionally look down. But everything that you do, your hands are there visible. So what does Jesus see when he reaches for us? He sees the scars on his hands. What does he see when he reaches out to judge us? He sees the scars on his hands. When he reaches out to bless or comfort us, he sees his scars. When he reaches out to receive us, he sees his scars. All scars tell a story. Ours are of pain and brokenness, but God's are a story of forgiveness and healing. Isaiah says we are healed by his wounds, and we are. And I'm here to tell you that it's true. There is nothing that you have been through 
are going through that Jesus does not understand. God loves you so much and has been pursuing you His whole life, your whole life. And He desires nothing more to see you healed and restored. So you may be here today with a sense of deep desperation because your life has been so scarred that you're convinced there is no deliverance possible. That the pain in your life is so great that you can't imagine finding freedom. You are shackled and tormented by your scars so deeply that it may have damaged your marriage or your job or your relationships. You've tried everything, but you see no progress. Your life bears so many scars that you've all but given up. Maybe you have given up. But let me say this. There is still hope. There is hope today. There is hope now. In this moment, the power that brought Jesus back to life 2,000 years ago is the same transforming power that we have today to overcome the pain, sin, and death in our lives. See, Satan wants to convince you that there is no hope. He wants to keep you bound, having you believe that there is no escape. He wants you to give up. And he wants you to believe that you're trapped. But he is wrong. Do not believe his lies. I have seen too many people restored. I have seen too many people released from the pain in their life. I mean, look at those that shared this morning. Kristen, a single mom who oftentimes feels overwhelmed by raising a teenage daughter by herself. But she knows that Jesus walks with her every single day and it gives her hope to continue her journey. Nate, a soldier who gave up everything for his country, comes back to find the wife he loves left him. But because of Jesus, he sees that God never abandoned him. And God walked, through, walked with him through that difficult time and gave him a second chance. Oh, Danny's was living a life of destructive behavior, a life full of pain and sadness. But God never gave up on him, even at his worst. Because God had a better plan for him and his life. And him and his wife were meant to be together. And only God could have brought them back together. And then Lori, growing up in an abusive home, is able to forgive the man who destroys her life. That is only due to the amazing power of Jesus in her life. See, God can take ashes and he can turn them into something very, very beautiful. I don't know where you are on your journey. Maybe for some of you, you know all about the scars of Jesus, but for whatever reason, you're holding back. And maybe it's because of bitterness or anger or just fear of letting go. I want you to know that, that God can handle all of that. God can handle your doubts. He can handle your fear. He can handle your anger. All you have to do is just give it over to Him. He understands what you're going through and he is willing to carry your burden. Maybe for some of you, you, you haven't even taken that first step with Christ yet. And you've been carrying around the pain and anguish of your scars your whole life. You can let go of that today. Just by accepting God's grace. Believing what Jesus did for you on the cross. For the scars that he took for you. For your sin. And asking him for forgiveness. And then you get to begin this magnificent journey following Christ for the, for the rest of your life. If that's where you are, 
we want to be able to help you on that journey. After the service, the other pastors and myself, we're going to be up front for whatever you need. If you need to talk to us, if you need to pray with us, if you need to know what it's like to take those next steps, we're here for you to talk with you. But I want to encourage you, do not leave today without taking those steps. Do not leave this place without knowing how much God loves you and cares about you. You see, scars are not the finish lines of death. They're just checkpoints in life. Scars are not a sign of weakness. They're a sign of survival. As the band makes their way back up in just a few minutes, we're going to enter into communion. And for those of you who are serving communion, you can come up and and grab the elements. But most of you know the story of the Last Supper. Jesus is celebrating the Passover feast with his disciples before his arrest and eventual death on the cross. And I love the version of the Last Supper told in Matthew. It's in chapter 26, starting with verse 26. It says, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, Eat, each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. See, the Passover meal is a meal of remembrance. It was done to remind the Jews of the deliverance that they received from death in Egypt. But it was also a remembrance of the covenant that God had for them of the coming Messiah. And so the same is true for us in communion. We remember our deliverance from death by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But because Jesus also said, I will not drink of this cup again until my return, we also look forward to the second return of Christ. This is the new covenant that Christ has with us. So as the band plays, when you feel led... We want you to come forward or behind you. There are eight stations around. Just go to the one that's nearest you. And you're going to take the bread and you're going to dip it in the juice and reflect on what Jesus has done for you and eat that communion knowing the scars that Jesus has because he loves you as deeply as he does. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Jesus, thank you so much for your sacrifice that you're willing to bear our scars. It's unimaginable how much you love us. Jesus, thank you that you are willing to put the pieces back together, that you're willing to take ashes and turn them into beauty. Thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray.